As Mike mentioned a moment ago, I, my name's Jeff Lee. I serve as the campus minister for RUF at Florida Atlantic University, and I'm very, very thankful and grateful for the partnership that we have with Spanish River. This is our home church. My wife and I, our kids attend here as well, um, but it is a partnership that formed eight years ago whenever we were called to start this ministry at FAU, and we are very, very thankful for your encouragement, for your support, uh, for the way that you pray for us and go before us on the campus at FAU. Uh, We are going to continue our sermon series in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. This morning, we're going to look at the idea that faith is trusting God's character. Hebrews 11 is that great chapter that takes all of these Old Testament figures and looks at how faith, uh, how how they exercise faith in their life and how that faith is what leads us to our understanding of who Christ is. But this morning, as we look at the book of Hebrews chapter 11, I want to begin by opening to Genesis chapter 22. So if you have a copy of God's word, you can turn to Genesis 22. It'll be on the screen behind you. We're going to consider a challenging passage this morning where God tested Abraham with the notion of going to sacrifice his son Isaac. I tell you in advance, this probably will not answer every question you have about this passage but I do believe that in doing so by opening this word that we'll get a greater understanding of who God is and the hope that we have in Christ. So here's God's word for us this morning, Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. In the book of Hebrews, we read in chapter 11, verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is God's word for us this morning. This is no doubt a challenging passage. David mentioned to me a few weeks ago that he would be preaching through the book of, or through the chapter of Hebrews 11, 
And when he shared that with me, he said, I would love for you to be part of this sermon series at some point in this series, and I'll try to do my best to make sure you get a passage that's not tricky or difficult to work with. And when he texted me and said, I'm gonna, can you preach on Abraham sacrificing Isaac? I thought, sure, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> this truly is a, a challenging passage. It's one that many critics have sought to use to undermine the truthfulness of God's word, have used to undermine the very character of God. One scholar calls this a monstrous test. New Testament scholar Bart Ehrman, who's no friend of evangelical Christians, refers to this as a horrible story, calling into question the very character of God himself. And as we consider those realities, I want to just acknowledge the fact up front that as we said that this is a challenging passage, what good is our faith in God's word if we have no answer for its sharpest critics? While we hear those assaults, those might be questions that ruminate within your own heart as well as you read this passage. This seems like an unusually difficult, burdensome task that the Lord has laid on to Abraham. But what I hope for us to do this morning, while there will be still uncertainty and mystery within this passage, what I hope for us to be able to see this morning is what the writer of Hebrews is urging us to see as well, that the faith that Abraham exercised isn't just what God is calling us to do. While we can learn from Abraham's faith, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is calling our attention to see God himself and to understand the object of Abraham's faith so that we too might live by faith. And by extension, the very faith that Abraham exercised was a faith that trusted in the very character of God in the midst of life's trials and uncertainties. I think in many ways this passage resonates with us, not just because of the gripping nature of it, but because isn't it true that in the trials and hardships of our lives, there will be moments that unfold, things that come our way, that cause us to say, why would God do this? And while we may not be given a direct answer on the particulars of why, we are given very specific understanding of who God is and the very character and the very nature of who he is so that we too might live by faith and cast our eyes upon him who's worthy to be worshiped and honored. So let's jump into our passage this morning, particularly in Genesis chapter 22. The first thing I want you to look at, the first thing we're gonna consider is the, the testing of Abraham. The writer of Hebrews says that by faith, when Abraham was tested, he offered up Isaac. In chapter 22, verse one of Genesis, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham. God comes to Abraham with a test. We've been considering Abraham's life for many weeks now as we've looked at Hebrews 11. You'll recall that when Abraham was 75, God called him to leave his homeland, to leave Ur of the Chaldees and to go to a land that God would show him. And by faith, Abraham believed God and he left his homeland and went to this place that God would show him, not knowing where it would be. But he heard him and believed his word. He left everything behind, all of his past, everything that he had built to that point in order to faithfully be obedient to God's word. Not only that, but God made him a promise. He said, Abraham, I promise to you that I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And Abraham knew that that was a difficult promise for God to make because he himself was old and his wife was old. And while they may not lived in the, the, the years of medical technology that we do, he understood the years of childbearing were long gone. But God made a promise, and so he trusted him. And the years went by, and Abraham grew in stature and in wealth and in influence in that region, but the promise was still unfulfilled. And year after year after year goes by. 
Till finally one day, his wife, Sarah, comes to him with a proposition and says, maybe it's God's will for you to fulfill this promise through Hagar, my mistress. And so Abraham takes Hagar and fathers a child with her, Ishmael. And God comes again to Abraham and says, no, Abraham, not through Hagar, through Sarah. And finally, when Abraham's 100 years old and his wife, 90, she gives birth to Isaac. God's promise fulfilled 25 years after its initial giving. Abraham received the understanding and the fulfillment of God's promise. Imagine waiting 25 years for God's promise. Imagine waiting 25 years for your professor to grade your final exam. Imagine waiting 25 years for the callback for that second interview. Interview went great. We'll call you. Great. And year after year goes by. I know that sounds ridiculous, but 25 years, Abraham waiting to hear of God's promise to be finally fulfilled And then we read in Genesis chapter 22 that after these things, God tested Abraham. We might be tempted to think that after the birth of Isaac, it's like the promise has been fulfilled. Here's your newborn son, and they all lived happily ever after, and the the scene's going to unfold next into Isaac's life, but that's not what happens. You can imagine the complication within their family unit. Sarah doesn't want Hagar around anymore. I have to see this other woman and this son that you fathered? Send them away, Abraham. And God confirmed to Abraham, yes, that's what you need to do. Send them away. I'll provide for them. I see them. But the promise is for your wife, Sarah, and to your offspring, Isaac. And so when we come to Genesis chapter 22, it is now just Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and his only son, Isaac, and God comes to him with a test. We don't know the details of specifically why. Maybe Abraham was tempted to coast. Maybe in this late season of life, after all of the promises have been fulfilled, Abraham might be tempted to take his eyes off his God and to look to his son and see the fulfillment there. We don't know all of the details of why, but God comes with a brutally hard test. Take your son, your only son, and offer him there in the land that I show you as a burnt offering. While that's an unsettling proposition and it causes all of us to question the the realities of what's happening in this passage, I want to look at some particulars in this story of Abraham's test so that we might understand in greater detail what's happening and you can actually see the faith that Abraham exercises so that we too can see God's character. Okay, let's do that together. Notice in verse 1, God comes to him in chapter 22 and says, Abraham, take your son, in verse 2, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Why is that significant? Because the call to Abraham to go and sacrifice his son is remarkably similar to the earlier command that God gave him in chapter 12 when he called him out of his homeland. God called Abraham and said, leave everything that you have and go to the land that I show you. And here he comes in chapter 22 and says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, and go to the land that I show you. And if Abraham is able to connect the dots, he can no doubt see that the last time that I followed God's word, The last time that I exercised faith in a promise that God made to go and follow him, it turned out pretty good. And while I don't know why the Lord is calling me down this road, surely he can be trusted. We sing in that great song, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. And the implications there is that then truly then in the future, we can continue to trust him in moments of uncertainty. The second thing we see in this is that, well, the reality is that this is a test. God comes to Abraham with a test. He's testing him. God's intention is not for Abraham to actually sacrifice his son. Now, I know that doesn't take the edge off for Abraham. Abraham's not aware of that reality, but the reader is alerted to that the very character of God is not called into question that he wants him to sacrifice his son. But here's the most important thing. 
God's testing Abraham and telling him, go to the land of Moriah. Now, to you and to me, Moriah might as well be any other land in the Middle East. We don't know where that is or what it means. But how does that sound different to you if you understand that in Hebrew, the word for provide is ra'ah. It sounds very much like the word moriah, God telling Abraham, go to the land, could we say it this way? Go to the land of provision. Go to the land where I see you, and there go offer your son. One Old Testament commentator says that this is almost as if God is offering salvation. He's promising salvation in the very command to sacrifice Isaac. There's evidences in this story that Abraham can see God is going to do something remarkable in this moment. I don't know how, and I don't know why this is the particular path that he's called me to walk, but he himself will provide. And we can even see it in this story. Look at chapter 22. Look at verse 5. When Abraham leaves the servants behind... He tells them, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. It's actually plural. We will go and worship and we will come back to you. In 22 verse eight, as Isaac's looking around and going, this isn't looking so good. Like we have the the wood, we have the fire, we have the knife. Where's the burnt offering? And Abraham responds, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. God himself will provide what we need in order to live faithfully. And so it's only fitting that the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham considered that God could even raise his son from the dead if that's how this command was to be unfolded. I know that that doesn't answer all the questions of Abraham's test, but do you see the evidence in there? And you can see the faith that Abraham's exercising, that God is good, his character is trustworthy, and he is a God who provides. And so because of that, we can follow obediently and faithfully. And if that's true for Abraham, well, then that's true for you and me this morning as well. Because God doesn't just come to Abraham with a test. God's word is clear that God also tests his people continually. God continues in the New Testament era in our day as well to continue to test his people. And we can actually see by faith that there's actually benefits to this testing. I doubt many of us came to church this morning and thought, boy, I hope I get to hear a sermon on a trial and testing. I hope, I hope this week contains some sort of a test for me. We don't want, I mean, I get it, it's hard. But the same word for testing is the same word that James uses when he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Consider it pure joy when you endure trials of various kinds because it's the testing of your faith that produces perseverance. We have to be told to count it all joy because it's not the natural way we see it. It takes faith to exercise it. I wouldn't need to tell you to exercise joy when you're ordering your ice cream uh, for dessert You don't tell somebody to exercise joy when they're jumping on the jet skis on vacation to take off across the lake. Of course it's joyful. But in the day of trial and hardship, James tells us to count it all joy because the testing of our faith produces perseverance. In fact, the very word for trials that he uses, the very word for testing that he uses, is not just the the trials that come our way from external experiences, but it's also the internal temptation to sin that we all know so clearly as well. Outward trials and inward temptation would be absolutely torture if not for the character of God who provides for our needs even in those moments of trial and testing. 
One of the songs that we sing in RUF is a song by John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote a hymn called I Ask the Lord. And I want you to consider the lyrics to this hymn as you think about your own life and how it, it speaks to this moment of what we all experience in trials and testing. John Newton writes, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. It's a good prayer. I wanna grow in my walk with Christ. I wanna see his face. I wanna understand my salvation more. He goes on to say, it was he who taught me thus to pray and he I trust has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way has almost drove me to despair. You see, I hope that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. John Newton is saying, I thought that, I thought that my faith in Christ and my growth in Christianity would be, I understand more of God's love and I understand more of his grace and my sins are subdued and I have peace in all of life. But he says, that's not what my experience was. And my guess is that's not your experience and it's not my experience either. This is what John Newton goes on to say. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. He let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part because I see the hidden evils deep within my soul. Isn't it a sobering moment when you realize that there's still pockets of sin that you didn't realize were still operating under the surface? Some moment unfolds that causes you to realize that temptation is still there. I didn't realize I had such a covetous heart until my neighbor bought a new boat. Twin outboards. Man, be so nice. <laughs> and it arouses covetousness in my soul or the anger that I feel so easy to say it's their fault, but isn't it aroused from somewhere deep within? In my work on a college campus, I often hear pastors and youth workers and parents warn their students about the, the evils of the college campus. Be careful as you go to the campus, that place will corrupt you. And I understand what they mean. But sometimes I often will point out, sometimes that place, that campus reveals what's going on in the hearts of your students. It's not what's corrupted them. It's revealed the corruption within. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. John Newton, our friend, continues on. It's not just the hidden evils that I feel within my heart. He goes on to say this. Yea, with more his own hand he seemed, intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, cast out my feelings, laid me low. Cast all my fair designs, just crossed them out and laid me low. Maybe you're here this morning and you thought life would have looked so different by now. You thought retirement would actually be something that you would enjoy, and yet you're continuing to grind it out at work. You thought by now you would be married and you don't even have a prospect on the horizon. By now you thought you would have had kids and it's still battling that same old infertility struggle and you question and you wonder, where is God in the midst of this? It seems as though he's just crossed my designs for what life would look like. Does he not care? Not at all. Hear what John Newton concludes. Lord, why is this I trembling cried? Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest seek thy all in me. 
What is God doing in these moments? But calling our attention to be broken from the world and all of the things of life that gather our, our, our affections and our desires so that we might find our completeness and our hope and our joy only in him. I wonder what it would have been like to walk beside Abraham after this story in Genesis 22 and to say, Abraham, tell us what was happening. <laughs> What was going on? We can't, we gotta be careful we don't read into the text, but you almost can, can feel this sense in Abraham of saying, I journeyed for three days, not certain of how the Lord would provide, but I knew that he would. And my stomach turning inside out, and my legs felt weak, but I knew that God would provide. And there, when we reached out for the knife, the angel of the Lord cried out, Abraham, stop. And caught in the thicket, the Lord's provision, a ram that I knew that he would provide. You see, if anything that we're seeing in this sermon series in Hebrews 11 is that, that our hope is not our hope for this life only, but our hope is finally that God is calling us to a better country, an eternal one, one where all of these promises that we've read about, one of where all of, these, uh, all of the uncertainties of life are finally fulfilled. And while this life might leave us with moments of uncertainty, moments of fear, and moments of trial, God's calling our attention through these stories and through this passage to find our identity in him. Because you see this story of Genesis chapter 22 and Abraham and Isaac finally isn't just about Abraham and Isaac. The third thing I want you to see this morning is that God, he, God himself provides the final sacrifice that we all so desperately need. It's not just that God provided the sacrifice for Abraham and his son, but that God provides the sacrifice that you and I need as well. We have to be careful in these types of stories of the Old Testament that we don't miss the hero of the story. If we only read Genesis 22 and walk away with saying, hey, be like Abraham, that might be a burden too heavy for you to carry. Maybe you come this morning and you know that you've experienced the testing of God and you feel as though you failed the test. Maybe that temptation that has raged so long within your soul that you feel undone by the burden of your sin and you think to yourself, there's no way I'm not like Abraham. You see, Abraham himself, while his faith is remarkable, was not a perfect man. Abraham himself has fallen short. Abraham himself took Hagar to be his mistress, to father a child. And perhaps, we don't know, perhaps when God came to Abraham and told him to go to the mountain and to offer your son as a burnt offering, maybe Abraham thought, maybe my sins are coming to bear. And now my only son, God, is calling to be sacrificed. That's not what God would do. And as we battle with our own abilities of falling short, as we battle our own guilty conscience in the places where we know that we have failed to live up to the standard that God has called us to. Genesis 22 points us forward to another and greater substitute that God himself provides for our sin, for our guilt, for our shame. You see, on another mountain, there would be another son who would have wood laid upon his back and who would go and be sacrificed upon that cross for your sin and my sin as well. Only he himself would not find a substitute for his place. He himself was the substitute for your sin and for my sin. If we received the penalty that we deserve, truly we would be undone. If God called our sin to account, truly we would be slain in that moment. But God's word tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, 
He was our perfect substitute. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This great exchange that happens, the substitute that we needed was given in our place so that we might receive the righteousness of God. And so too, we might lift our eyes from the circumstances of our life and to see that while there's trials and tribulations and uncertainties in what we experience, what we truly need is for our sins to be forgiven and our right standing before the Lord to be restored. And God himself has provided that sacrifice so that we might stand faithfully before our Lord because of what Christ has accomplished for us. And as we experience the temptations and trials of life, as that irreconcilable war between the new man and the old man rages within and the hidden evils of your heart are exposed, and as you endure the fiery trials of life that's full of uncertainty and challenge, well, God's word calls us to see that God himself, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And at the end of our life, as we stand before the very presence of God, we too will be able to see what Abraham saw and to declare what Abraham declared in chapter 22, verse 14. The Lord will provide on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And that God himself has provided for us and the work of Christ, everything that we need so that we might too live faithfully. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and our God, we do come before you this morning aware of the burdens of our soul, the trials and the temptations that we face. And we pray that you'll strengthen us for the journey ahead, that we too will lift our eyes from ourselves to see on that cross high and lifted up one who died in our place. And not only one who died, but one who rose again from the dead so that we too might rise in newness of life. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.